and um, I hear the first officer call out. And then the first officer jumps on the radio and he screams, holy sh! it's the goat man. And I mean, it's just like everything went quiet. And my, I, I could hear the ringing in my ears and I could feel my heart race. And so I hit my life and I went flying up there. I'd been told by some old, older people, elders, that you grab them and you hold them and you, you, you don't own them, but you, you hold them there until daylight. If you can hold them or pull it in, pull them into the light, it uh, destroys anything they have, uh, any kind of power or anything that, or anything they were trying to do to you, it'll, it'll destroy them. This guy was like bouncing, like. You know, like how you, you see people kind of getting ready to jig? You know how they kind of bounce? Yeah, he was like that way. He was just kind of bouncing, and he was just kind of going back and forth and one foot to the other. And uh, and he just kind of turned sideways, and he turned back over to the other way, and and uh, he took off. Holy shit, he jumped in Wanda. This is Lodge Tales. I'm your host, Rod Williamson, and thanks again for joining us on another episode If you are Native American and you'd like to come on the show to share your strange and paranormal experiences, please consider emailing us at lodgetales at gmail.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Thanks for being with us. Mike Conley comes back again and He's going to tell some stories about the jailhouse, boarding school, and the spirit that followed him around for, geez, a long, long part of his life. Um, then next week, uh, oh, I'll get to that later, but, um, you know, Indian Days is coming up. If any of you all are around, and, um, you know, if I, if I get messages or whatever, you can drop me a couple lines on that, that Facebook group even. You know, if there's enough interest, I'd like to sit around camp and tell stories and you know, maybe even record some people's stories and stuff. So just let me know. Get in contact with me and drop some lines on that um, Facebook or, or wherever. But anyways, that'd be fun you know, do something like that. Well, let's just get right into the show. Here's, uh, here's Mike. Alright, welcome back to Lodge Tales, everyone. We got Mike back again. And uh, he's going to talk about the the jailhouse and all the stuff that goes on around there. All right, Mike. Hey, good evening. So I guess I just have a few short stories with uh, jail. They ain't too long. They didn't happen too much, I guess. I don't really know where to start, though. I guess I'll start with one where... Uh, <clears throat> When I used to work for BIA Corrections, we used to do uh, cleaning details for the prisoners who wanted to earn extra time to get out. <clears throat> Two for one, shit like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so um, we'd make them clean because if anybody's ever been in a Browning jail, they know that it stinks, it's horrible disgusting so we used to 
we used to take the uh, prisoners and they could scrub the jail and for time off their sentence. <clears throat> so uh, this one year, there was about three or four of us corrections officers on, <clears throat> and we had them scraping off the back back cell block uh, on the female side. We were doing the floors, going to repaint them. <laughs> and it was an all-day job, and we were sitting there, and we were, the, the inmates were scrubbing and sanding the paint off and scraping it off the cement, and we just kind of walked back and checked on them. And we had a whole herd back there. I think the whole jail was doing it. Hmm. And uh, end of the day come, and we was all sitting in uh, the detention office. Uh, <clears throat> it was time to add up everybody's time and sign it and so they could get credit through the courts. And so we sitting there, and uh, the other detention officer, she was signing time, and we had a line of inmates I was sitting there watching the cameras, and the other guy was putting the inmates back in himself. And so I looked up at the cameras, and there was still a woman sitting there, and she was really scraping away. Hmm. And I said, I said, Bobby, who's that? And she turned around and looked, and she stared at it for a little bit, and then she, she yelled, Rose! Well, we'll call her Rose. And the person in the camera just kept scraping. And she's like, Rose, get up here. And uh lady didn't pick her head up or nothing. She just sat there. And finally, well, Rose was really hard of hearing. And so finally Bobby yelled. She was like, Rose, get up here. And Rose stepped around from behind another inmate. And she's like, I'm right here. <laughs> And we both looked at each other and we looked at the camera and all those inmates seen that camera and they was like, oh shit. And then they all started screaming and scattering because it wasn't Rose and it was all accounted for. So we went creeping back there and by the time we got around that back side, it just, just kind of gone. Damn. So there, there's one. Was her back turned to the camera? Could you see her face or anything? No, you couldn't see her face. She was down on her hands and knees with a scraper, and her hair was drenched over, like when a woman's kneeling down, scraping, and the hair's not put back. <clears throat> it's uh, hanging down over her sides of her face, so you couldn't really see. But Bobby said it looked just like Rose. Oh. And so that's why she started yelling her name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's been a few instances um <clears throat> that woman that female side was that nobody we we never really used the back cells on there for any uh females just because um um they would all the female inmates would say that there was a woman that roamed those cells or they'd hear somebody screaming and, you know, stuff like that. So one night we had this um, younger lady, she come in, she was pretty intoxicated. And so we have that uh, 
restraint chair that BIA used. Mm-hmm. For anybody that was combative, this one, this uh, younger female was very combative. <clears throat> and so um, we get her put in that chair and we wheel her back in that back cell. And uh, we close it up and we lock it. And she's going crazy. She's yelling and screaming. And she probably goes on for about a good 30, 45 minutes. And then she finally stops. And we got the camera on her, so her back's facing the camera and in front of her is right in front of the cell door. And um, you can kind of see partial sides of the uh, the uh, bed, the bunk beds there. Mm-hmm. And so once it calmed down and she stopped cry- screaming, <clears throat> we uh, I started checking the camera. Well, we did our cell check. And then we come back and we checked our cameras and she was sitting there and she was all peaceful. She was quiet and she was looking to the right of her towards the beds. And when I looked, I could, I had to get close to the camera, but you could see these legs swinging, you know, like when somebody's sitting on a bed and they can't touch the floor yeah. and their legs were just swinging back and forth. The thing is that she was the only one in that cell. Jeez. And she was still in there, and she was looking over like she was talking to somebody. And uh, about that time, we just heard um, we just heard screaming coming from that cell, and I was like, "Holy shit!" And we jumped up and we ran back there, and I opened up that cell door, and she was in tears, and she was begging to be let out of there. And so we got her out. She said she'd behave, and I asked her, "I said, what happened?" And she said, there's a little girl sitting in that cell with me. She just swinging her leg, telling me she was going to stab me and cut my hair. God damn. <laughs> so, so years ago, that backside there, they used to, um, they used to use that as a uh, juvenile detention. And it was just one side, and that was before the white buffalo, so they could have someplace to hold them. Yeah. And so they... Um, they, I don't know if they've ever had anything happen in there, but they um, obviously they must have something bad happen in there. But you know, in the nights we'd walk, you'd have to walk all the way around that to uh, do your checks and stuff, and nobody ever wanted to walk back in that back part. And so one night I, I was like, I'll walk it, and so I go through the female side. I check on a female. I go through that back door and we always kept it closed. We always kept that back cell block just sealed off. And it was just because if we did it, that door would slam all night and nobody would be back there. And so I went through and we still got to check it. So I went through and I closed it. And I was, I walked, I checked that cell, which the door was open. And I just poked my head in there, nobody in there, obviously. And so I walked around the corner to the other door. And when I was sticking that, sticking my key in that door mm-hmm. it, this blood curdling scream just let out right behind me in my ear and I just shook and I froze and I couldn't move and I, I was afraid to turn around and look and I was just sitting there shaking those keys and you could I could just feel breath like somebody breathing on the back of my neck and I didn't want to look back and you know those old people say you don't look back at those because then they'll twist your face oh, yeah. and so so I was sitting there and I was trying my keys and 
I was shaking so bad it probably took me about a minute to actually get that key in there and open that door. And so once you pop it, the door is spring loaded, so it'll pop open. Mm -hmm. And I had to, I had to like push on it like something was holding it or pulling it shut. And so I had to shove my shoulder into it, and I popped through it, and I slammed it behind me, and I just felt relief after that. <laughs> so I finished my round really quick, and uh, the next time that I went back through there, <clears throat> um, I had one of those guys go with me. I was telling him what happened, and nobody really wanted to walk it. I was like, well, there's two of us. We'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> that always happens there, huh? Does it happen to other people, too, when you were, when you were yeah, working Yeah, I've, uh, I've heard a few, um, tell a few stories. Uh, my mom used to tell me when she was a dispatcher years ago, mm -hmm. and they had that booking window that looked right into um, the dispatch center rather than uh, being walled off and she said that so you carry around this big thing of keys with maybe four or five keys on it mm -hmm. and they jingle when you walk you know just like those old school movies and my mom would tell me that she'd be sitting there and she'd hear those keys jingle by but back then the dispatcher was the detention officer because they were short so short staffed mm -hmm. and so they she actually had the keys but she said she could hear him jingling walking down that hallway. It would get right up to that window, and then it would just stop. And she'd <laughs> end up calling one of the officers down, and they'd walk back there and check, and they wouldn't see nothing. Crazy. But uh, I don't – did I tell you about – I can't remember if I told that story about the jail. I think I did. It was one of those first ones with the uh, – when I was looking in a trustee cell and the yeah. guy kept, yeah. Yeah, you told that <clears> one. <throat> That's creepy, man. That, ooh. Guy was well, looking you know, at and you. I was, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, so an, a different time, and it was on Halloween, I was working one night, and I come walking down doing my cell check. It's probably about one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, and I just double-checking all the cells. and I looked into that one cell, and the lights were, the lights flick were flickering off and on, you know, and I, I looked into that cell and there was one or two inmates in there. I can't remember. And, um, the light was flickering, like they was burning out those fluorescent lights. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, um, I looked and I looked and I couldn't see anybody else. And when I, when I pulled back and I went to turn to walk away, something whispered, Hey, Ooh. Right in my ear. <laughs> I got running at that sound block. Jeez, did, is there, um, I remember you said you guys, or well, I remember when we were smaller, you lived in boarding school, but those houses down oh. there, have you gotten, oh. is there stuff oh, going oh, on oh, down there too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so, when I was a kid, mm -hmm. um, well, obviously lived in boarding school, and, um, I would, I would lay in bed and I would, I would hear it. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and um, I would hear footsteps going up and down our hallway, and then I would hear dishes banging. And I kept trying to tell myself it was my mom and dad. You yeah. know, one of them was up doing something, and so the next day I'd always ask, "Was you up?" And they'd like, "No, we slept all night." But that was, it was a, always an occurring thing, and so I would hear these heavy footsteps walk down the hall. They would always stop at my door 
it never walked past my open door and then it turned around and it would go back. Well, one night my dad was telling me that he, my dad used to smoke and uh, he had bad nightmares from cop stuff and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he'd lay awake and he'd wake up three, four in the morning, he'd lay in bed and smoke a cigarette. And so his room was, I don't know, what, what do you say, kitty corner to mine. So like where his bed was, he could see out his door, he could see my door and into my room mm-hmm. and uh one night he said he was laying there and sleeping and uh he said he lit up a cigarette and he said something woke him up he didn't know what it was he lit up a cigarette and he was laying there and he was smoking he, he said he was just looking out and at my door and just laying there on the side and watching my door and he said all of a sudden he heard footsteps coming down that hallway and then he seen this big man this big frame of a man walk into my bedroom and so he jumped up. Should I just get goosebumps about mm. this one? <laughs> so he jumped up and grabbed his AR, and he went running into that, into my room. And he threw the light on, and he looked all over, and there was nobody in there. It was just me sleeping. So he picked me up out of my bed and went and put me in bed with him and my mom, and that's where I slept at the rest of the night. Hmm. And that's, um, but I mean, there were, there were demons in that place. My mom said one night she'd come home, <clears throat> she caught a ride, she was dispatching. My dad was watching us because he was off, he didn't, he worked the day shift. And so she worked the night shift. She said she got off at four and she got, she caught a ride from one of the officers and they brought her down. She said when they pulled up, the officer said, oh, your kids are up. And my mom said, ah, oh, that goddamn Mike, he let those kids stay up. And she said when she looked in, when the lights hit that big window, she said there was a little boy and a little girl standing there. Mm. And so she thought it was me and my sister, Jamie. Yeah. And so she she said she went in the house on the fight. She's going to cuss my dad out because those kids are still awake. And <laughs> she said she walked down there and we was both sound asleep with my dad in bed. She said she just closed the door, locked it, and crawled in bed and went to sleep. Oh. <laughs> but there used to be a little boy and a little girl that would stand in my closet in my bedroom, and they'd say, Mike, come play with me. Hey. Come on, come in here, come play with me. And they would always try and coach me in there. Oh, God. That sounds similar to that little boy's end. There's that little boy and that little girl that would play down by that exit sign. God, yeah, that, I think it was probably the same one. That used to really, man, when I... Okay, so in the second grade is when I first went down to boarding school. You know, you're pretty damn young then. and uh, Yeah. I was put right there in the... Well, that bed that's right next to the hallway. I mean, you know, there's a big open room. You can just see down the hallway, see to the next room. There's no door like in a big boys in you got a door to your room it's just big open yeah and i was looking down well i don't know i just was staying up late you know because i just couldn't sleep i kept thinking about you know a lot was going on at the time my grandma had died my grandpa was really sad my mom and dad were kind of you know wasn't very good at home so i was just kind of i guess missing my grandma or whatever but it was keeping me up and i was looking down that hallway and first i seen a couple of shadows just kind of dart by I thought, geez, I wonder who's down there. I wonder what they're playing. You know, I thought it was, because I didn't know everybody there yet. And uh, 
So I laid there and I watched and I watched. Heck, nothing. It seems like as soon as I'd turn my eyes away and kind of move my head, roll over a little bit, I'd hear those pitter-patter, their feet run across. And then I start hearing laughing and I start realizing, hey, wait a minute, man. There's, there ain't even nobody down there. What? <laughs> but, you know, that's why I would never ever, if I had to sleep on that side, you know, because I switched rooms and stuff, you know, that year, but... If I ever yeah. had to sleep there, man, I'd never look down there. Like, I'd try to go to sleep quick, too, man. I would never sit up. <laughs> Before everybody else. Yeah, like, I didn't want to see them. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to hear them <laughs> laughing and playing and all that down there. I didn't want to, uh-uh. <laughs> well, that's, um, you know, when you guys would all go home on the weekends, it was pretty dead down in the bottom there. Yeah. <clears throat> so we'd go over to that gym because they always left it open. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'd play around in there and go in there and shoot basketball and stuff. But we'd never go down in that basement. And my cousins from down in Seville would come up, and uh, they'd always they'd always be like, "Go down there, go down there." Like, mm -hmm. no, I ain't gonna go down there. And so we all walked down. And we'd be like, "Well, let's do it together." And so there's probably about four or five of us, and we all snuck down in there into those locker rooms, and you know, spooking each other and whatnot. And all of a sudden, we started hearing somebody dribbling a basketball because the floor is right above you. Yeah. And we was like, "Oh shit, we're gonna get in trouble." So we went running up out of there. And we run into the gym, and there's that basketball. It just kind of bounced like somebody just let it go, and it bounced and rolled away. <laughs> so <laughs> right then and there, we whipped out that door. Assholes and elbows is all you could see. <laughs> yeah, that, that, we was just talking about that with Daniel on, a, on this other podcast right before yours, a couple before yours, but uh, this one and yeah. yours. But remember that breaker switch is totally across that gym floor? Yeah, you had to go. Show. Oh man, I used to hate doing that, man. And <laughs> it's just like got pitch black in there. <laughs> yeah, well, because you know you always worried that someone was just gonna run away and leave, shut that front door even. Okay, man, Ooh, I used they to, always did though. Yeah, too. I used to mess with you. So that's come like I never liked that. And then we had to go down and clean in that basement. Did that Sam Juno would make us go down there and clean up, you know, the details yeah. and stuff. Oh man. I, you're down there, it just feels like someone's staring at you the whole goddamn time. You just, you know, work fast to get the hell out of there. Yeah, I didn't like it down there either in that basement part. <laughs> yeah, I hated that basement part. I hated that whole gym. That was spooky over there, man. Is, is it, do they still play in there? Uh, as far as I know, they do. Hmm. So that's, um, you know, I hated, so when I'd go over and hang out with you guys at the, uh, over yonder way there, um, and I'd have to walk home at night. Mm. And so remember that big field? Yeah. That was all pitch black right, uh, right up until the street and then it hit the street light. So I'd be a dead run from the time I went out those front doors of the dorm all the way across that field to that to the to the paved road i think that's why i got so fast <laughs> this man i would all ass across that <clears throat> but i was talking to um shit, i was talking to some old couple old people and they was telling me that uh these demons they um they come in a form of you like the older you when you're younger you know, like my face now, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So when I was a kid, I was probably about 
well, let's see, when I lived down there, I was eight, nine. So I was probably about 10, 11 years old. And uh, it was one of the very few times I slept in my bed by myself. Mm-hmm. And I was laying there and I was sleeping and I, I, something woke me up. But anyways, I had to use the bathroom. So I got up and I went and I walked to the bathroom, which was my was my sister Jamie's room at the end. So when I come out, my sister Jamie's room was right there, my parents' room right there, and then the bathroom and then the little furnace right there. So I kind of walked over to the bathroom and I flipped on the light and I used the bathroom and really had to go really bad. And I the whole time I could feel like something was staring at me, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I finish up and I flush the toilet and I'm washing my hand and I happen to look up into the mirror and there was me and I sat there and I stared at myself for a few minutes. Hmm. And um, the longer I stared at myself, it's like I couldn't pull myself away. It, it, it's like it just kept my gaze on myself and I couldn't, I couldn't pull back. I couldn't walk away. I couldn't do nothing. And, all of a sudden, my face in the mirror started aging. It started getting older. And uh, I didn't know who it was then. But now, I see, when I remember this, it, it was me in that mirror. It was the older self of me in that mirror staring back at me. And so I'm sitting there staring at myself and start aging. And all of a sudden, it, it starts climbing out of that mirror. Holy shit. And I finally get away and I break away and I run out the bathroom and I run to my sister Jamie's room. She was always my safe haven, my protector, older sister. Mm -hmm. And so I um, run into her bedroom and I dove on her bed and I covered up and I pulled the blankets over my head and I was laying there and I remember her waking up and she's like, what's wrong? And I said, nothing. She's like, oh, you just scared? I said, yeah. And she said, all right, we'll go to sleep. And so I laid there and maybe about 10, 15 minutes go by, my head was under the blanket. And then, you know, when you can feel somebody crawling up on a bed hmm. and it just kind of pushes down here and there each time they put a hand or a foot down. Yeah. I could feel that. And he was straddling me. Oh, shit. And he was, he was climbing up nice and slow and I was just starting to shake and, uh, I, I didn't know what to do. I couldn't scream. I couldn't yell. I couldn't get up. I couldn't move. <clears throat> and so I um, I just laid there, and then I felt him. His whole body weight was right over top of me, and uh, he would, I could just hear him breathing. And about that time, those blankets ripped off me, and I could see it. And he was dressed in all black, and like a turtleneck black shirt on, long sleeves, black pants. You know, he was all black, but it was me, the older me, and I started, he started choking me, oh, and I was fighting, and I was swinging, and I was trying to get him off, and I was, the last thing I remember is I just seeing stars, and then I passed out, and then I woke up the next morning, and uh, the blankets were all messed up, and my sister Jamie was up doing her thing, and I got up, and I had bruise marks on my neck. Mm-hmm. and I was like holy shit and so that that one really creeped me out and that kept me uh, from sleeping in my own bed for the longest time man that's really bad man whatever that is holy shit damn it, it's powerful too Cripes, that could do that to you you know 
Yeah, and that, well, and that was my biggest thing. And, and so then when I was talking to these old people, they were telling me about, um, they were telling me about uh, demons and possession and whatnot like that. And uh, yeah. <clears throat> that's one of the things they said is that the demons, when you're a child, they come, they come to you in a form of uh, your older self or something of that nature, some shit like that. Right, man. That's horrible. So yeah, that's you know that's that's a that's one of my most vivid ones from down there. Yeah. And I really um I don't know. I really try and suppress those memories down there because it was always so much. They um boarding school was a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. You know that was what that's where some of the scariest shit I've ever witnessed happened. You know, they had that guy who committed suicide in that house. And, yeah. you know, we used to walk by that house even after he was gone. And you could just feel stuff just staring at you. And one of my friends um, moved in there. And that's he'd be like, come over and play. So I'd go over, but I could just feel something, you know. Yeah. Just something wasn't right. So I, I refused to go in his house. I'd be like, no, nah, you come over here and play. Jeez. I told that story to Daniel. He never heard it. It's on that Daniel Wheeler. Which one? That story of Dale Douglas, the one that uh, oh that uh, uh, Robert Wildgun told me. I I told him that story. <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> when they shoved Robert down the stairs, oh no! I talk him into killing himself, or no? I he no. I just with Robert. I'm um, not Robert. Uh, uh, Dale when he was you know. Because Robert oh, and that Gillum guy were the shit, ones that yeah. walked in, and well, they had they got called there to do that check on him. Yeah, and they're the ones that found him in there. And anyways, I just told Daniel about that, you know, what I knew about him, that guy dying over there. And uh, oh, but tell me that one. I didn't know Robert's getting pushed down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you don't mind. So, no, not, not at all. My dad. So uh, we used to be really close with Robert and him. I mean, well, all, obviously all the cops and dispatches. And <clears throat> Robert and Cheryl lived in that Dale Douglas house. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, forgive me if I get this wrong in a few details, but I've, I remember most of it. And so um, I guess uh, Robert would wake up and he'd have, like, bite marks on him or scratches and, you know, shit like that. Mm. Just, and wouldn't know what it was from. Uh-huh. And so I guess one day, um, Cheryl and the kids, I'm not sure if they went to town or what happened, but uh, Robert was home alone. And um, when Cheryl and him got back, they found Robert, and he was down in the basement. and He had a busted up head and broken ribs and broken arm. And so they got him to the hospital, and when he was telling them what happened, he told my dad what happened. And he said that he was sitting there, and he said there were voices and they were telling him to go to the basement and kill himself. And he was like, I can't do that. And he said he was fighting them and whatever in his head. And he said he walked over to the basement stairs and he looked down there and he said, somebody shoved him from the back and he fell down those basement stairs. He said, well, he was down there. He said something kept trying to drag him. And uh, he said he couldn't really fight because he lost consciousness and he's hurting pretty bad. And, Finally, they left him alone, and he ended up 
losing consciousness and they I, I want to say it was Cheryl they found him later on down there like hours later and uh, got him to the hospital and after that they moved out of that house Jeez. but I know there was quite a few other things and I know Dale Douglas one of his um one of his notes was that uh, the voices are telling him to uh, to kill himself you know take his life you know mm -hmm. shit like that and that's what one of his notes said is, is that he can't stop the voices in his head so he's just you know he's just done with life Damn. and that was one of the big things about it uh -huh. but, I, but I remember when we was kids of course us being kids right after he killed himself we we got into that house because it wasn't locked and I remember I took a pair of fingernail clippers and my sister kept telling me, don't take those, don't take those, that's going to follow you home. Yeah. I took them anyways and I carried them around and, you know, cut fishing line with them, shit like that, fishing on the river. That evening we went home and I got in bed and I was laying there trying to go to sleep in my fancy new fingernail clippers were sitting on my nightstand next to my bed and started closing my eyes and I could hear this tapping on my window like just just a light tap you know you, you really had you really had to be quiet for you to hear it yeah. and uh, everybody went to bed so it was really quiet out and so I laid there and I kind of thought should I should I look and uh I was, I was too scared and so I kind of hunkered down in my bed and then the tapping got louder and louder and then it just started banging on my window and I screamed for my dad and I jumped up and ran out of my room and uh, I woke of course I woke my parents up and they went and looked and there was nothing and so the next day I took those fingernail clippers and went rode my bike by that house and I threw those fingernail clippers back at that house and took off <laughs> Jeez. No, that, um, when Robert was telling me about when they went in there that, you know, Dale had that basement kind of barriered off. He had the door shut at the bottom or something, nailed shut, and like he said, pill bottles of holy water and, and smudge, you know, sweet grasses on each step going up. That, that door going down to it was all barriered off too. He was trying to fight it, man. <coughs> you know, whatever it was, he was trying to fight it. And, you know, he used to come over and play basketball with us in the evenings. I remember yeah. him. Heck, he was nice to all of us kids. He'd show up during the day, too. He'd come in there and, you know, I remember him giving me money for those, you know, those little nibs that they're like uh, licorice, red licorice things. Anyways, it was in that yeah. machine and he would give me money for that. There were 35 cents and he'd give me that. And, I'd, you know, he's really nice to us. Remember him bringing Pop yeah. in there a couple times for us? Yeah, Bob's a good, he's a, he's a good guy, and that's what it was just. But, you know, he, he always really had that luck. <laughs> uh, well, that's too bad, jeez. But, yeah, and so I know a few other families that lived in there, but I know that uh, they was happy to tear it down hmm. after, you know, that shit just kind of sticks around in there. But boarding school... I used to I used to walk 
down that backside. You remember where that old shooting range was down there? Yeah. All the cops would go down there and shoot. And I'd always wander down in that brush. Just being a kid all by myself. And I'd have my little Tonka trucks and I'd go back in the brush and find a little spot and I'd play and do what little kids do. <clears throat> and I remember it started getting dark out. And I started walking down that gravel road back towards my house. It was probably only about 100, 200 yards. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was really walking, and all of a sudden, I, you know how in gravel you could hear more than one person walk? Mm-hmm. And so I heard somebody behind me, and I whipped around really quick, thinking it was, you know, one of you boys from from the dorm. And I looked back, and there was nobody behind there, behind me. And so I started walking again, and all of a sudden, you could hear it again. And I was like, oh, you know, I ain't looking. So I just took off running. I was balls to the wall, and. Whatever it was, was right behind me the entire time, just kicking gravel, just making as much noise as I was. And I went smoking through my front yard and ran inside and slammed the door, and my mom's like, what happened? And so I was telling her something chased me out of that brush down there. Hmm. She was like, you don't go in those woods by yourself. <laughs> yeah, I only went down there a couple times at Tyrone Murphy. He said, hey, let's go down there and... We'll find some lead those cops shoot over there all the time. Yeah. Just pick it out that side of that hill and just look at it, you know, leave it there. Yeah. Well, that's what we would do, too, you know, go pull that out just because probably how we all ended up with lead poisoning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Running down playing with the lead. Yeah, I remember there's a... You know, Snoo Cerebus would tell us a lot of stories down there. You know, right down by, remember where we used to go down in that river? Yeah. Kind of right by those swings or that little outside gym there, just right off of that. I remember Snoo, he was the first one I remember telling us ghost stories. Yeah. He'd build a fire down there and he'd take that coffee can and make cowboy coffee down there, you know. Oh, yeah. Sit there with cups and hang on every word he'd say. (laughs) Yeah, those are fun nights. I remember those, you know, those matrons down there, they can have a really good impact on your life, you know. Yeah, they do. You know, there's some of them that were kind of mean and whatever, but there's others that just, you know, they they, think about that stuff. I remember he taught those Amesback boys, those little ones, that Jess, and uh, what's his brother's name? Anyways, they could never braid their hair. Or tie it up. Jeez, he taught them how to braid their hair themselves and put those red braid ties on them. Yeah. I remember that. He was always teaching them that. Because that's how he did his hair, you know. But no, I, yeah. I remember him really taking good care of those. All of us down there. Yeah, boarding school. Um, You know, my wife's aunt lives down there. I'd like to hear some nah. stories from her, too. <laughs> it must be the same as in Browning. Every house... Has a story, oh cripes, everybody got something they can tell, I bet. Oh yeah, you know, and that was, uh, even at uh, Government Square House, would, I'd hear somebody walking up and down those stairs, and because um, we had a basement, and probably to this day, I don't ever want a house that has a basement, Ooh. and it's just because we, I'd constantly hear somebody and they wouldn't just walk up them. They would stomp, you know, yeah. made their presence known. That, and then um, you could always hear somebody chopping wood sounding down there because we had a fireplace. Well, most of them all had fireplaces in the bottom of them. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I'd always hear wood chopping middle of the night. And I'd think, what the fuck is my dad doing? <laughs> and I'd, I'd get up and I'd go look and my dad would still be in bed. And so I'd just go lay down. But, you know, that shadow figure, that, that big man that um, my dad seen walk in my room, uh-huh. he followed me for years. Uh-huh. And so um, my dad seen him then, and then after that, I started seeing him. And I would see him standing in on the edge of the tree line down in boarding school, and he'd just watch me. But you could never see his face, you know, he just looked like a big shadow figure. I had to say he's probably like six five. He was a very big man, and um, he followed me all over down there in boarding school. And then when we moved up to Government Square, I would see him. He'd be standing over by our uh, by our um, basement door, by the back door, and it's usually when the lights are out. But you could always make his silhouette out. And that's the thing is, I always thought I was seeing things, but whatever, I would see him too much, you know? Yeah. And so finally, we we moved out of that house in Government Square, and uh, I remember it was prom night, and Kelly Fitz was with me, and we were just kind of cruising. You know, after prom, it was our freshman year, and, you know, we didn't really party or anything. And so we were just kind of driving around before we went home, and Joe go past the old house on government square and there's that man standing in that window just staring at me i tell kelly i said look at that and he's like what what is that and i said that guy follows me and man i took off out of there i didn't see him for the longest time after that and then uh when we stationed up in fort wainwright i was laying in my barracks room on our first floor and um I don't know, I just happened to wake up, and I looked, and there he was. He was standing by that front door. Oh, And you remember how my barracks room was? That bed was over by the window, and then my entertainment center, wall locker, and then the door. Mm-hmm. And I I was laying there, and I was just staring at him. And, I mean, my heart started racing. I started getting sweaty, nervous. And I jumped up, and I just made a mad dash for my light switch what she was standing by. When I did it, something hit me in the chest, like really sharp. I didn't know what it was, but I just, I pushed through it and I kicked that light on and he went away. I was shaking and I was too scared to look at anything else. So I slept with my light on that night. And uh, I I finally eventually went back to sleep. And um, when I woke up for PT later that morning, I went to the bathroom and I was looking and I had a pretty decent gash in the center of my chest. And um, I don't know what it was, but it left a scar. I'm actually looking at the scar right now. It's still scarred on my chest. And I don't know what it was because there was nothing there to, you know, for me to run into or for me to stab because it was just wide open. Wide open between me and the light switch. Right. But that was, uh, and then when I got home out of the Army, um, I seen him a few more times, and then I went down, and I went and sweat with my Uncle Joe, and I was telling him about it. And he finally, I haven't seen him since. Oh. Doctored me up, and I haven't seen him since. 
That's good. And so, I mean, I was a relief, but that guy, that thing followed me everywhere I went. I'd seen him from the time I was in boarding school until, uh, shit, until I got back from the Army. You know, I think they see something good down your, down your, you know, in your path in life. Yeah. And I think they try to stop it, you know. They don't want to, uh, well, I guess you're, one of these days probably going to do something really good for a lot of people, you know what I mean? If you already haven't. And so that, I think, you know, because there's other stories about stuff like that. These holy men, I know a story about one where he was always drunk. And there was always a man that would bring him whiskey to his house, put a bottle on his table. But there's nobody there, but it would that bottle would be there every day trying to keep him drunk. Really? Yeah, because he knew he was going to go on and be this, you know, really powerful holy man. Help yeah. a lot of people. And, you know, that's what I think, man, when those things follow you like that. Well, they must know something. You know, they must know well, that. that's kind of what them Johnny Dayrider used to tell me stuff like that. Hmm. He said, uh, a lot of these spirits, he said, when they start coming to you, and they start seeing you, they see something in you, <coughs> and they're looking for help. And um, that's something, the same thing my Uncle Joe told me. And so he said, when you start seeing these things, he said, start praying for them. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, start praying for them to go across to the other side, because that's what they're looking for. They're, they're stuck here, and they're looking for help to get out of here. And so they're going to the people who have that future or something in them and so he said whenever you see those people he said just pray for them pray that they can cross over yeah and so i always have yeah that makes sense you know i've had to do that once too that thing that kept bothering me down here at that warehouse i, I prayed for it it went away yeah yeah i really prayed hard one night and smudged for it and it, it never showed back up again well, that's the thing. It just—I don't know. <laughs> I, don't out. I still remember that <laughs> that day you showed up. Oh, shit, we just got out the field, man, in the army. You know, I left the Marines, went to the army there, and just got out that field, and went back in that that day room. And hey, there's a guy here. He says he's from. Uh, he says he's black. Who you? Really? And I walked in that day room, seen you there. He's, he's on the phone. He's kind of jumped up. Yes, specialist. <laughs> Tell you, I don't, oh, man. don't worry about nothing like that. Shit, what you been doing, Mike? <laughs> you, uh, you know, I was, I was, I, when you walked in there, I was on the phone with my mom. Oh. I was crying because I wanted to go home. Ah, shit, really? And you showed up and I was like, I am fucking going home. <laughs> What's the odds of that shit, you know? I think about that. What are the odds of that? It's unheard of to have two people from this juice, let alone Native Americans, two two natives from the same tribe, just by no, just some luck of whatever, we get put in the same duty station, then we get put in the same company, then in the same platoon. Cripes. You know, well, and that's what I always tell everybody, too, that you're the one who kept me in it kept me in the army if not i'd have begged my mom to take me out <laughs> that was some pretty fun times up there man we made a pretty good breach team i remember that we got to breach that one time shit that was 
Well, that's pretty proud yeah. of us. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was some, some good times up there, man. It was, it was good. Yeah, I miss him. Okay, yep, that was Mikey. So, um, next week we're going to have a... Well, it's kind of up in the air who's going to be on next week. I got a couple people that are that are in the shoot, so... Either way, we're going to have more good stories coming next week as well. That's also when the patron episode comes out, so we'll have two shows. If you're a patron, you'll get two shows. If you're just uh, you know, here for the good stories that are free, well, then there they are. Right there. There's another one next week, but we'll have some good ones coming next week, too. Um, we'll, you know, I, I'll have to be up there for Heartbeat Ending Days, too. That's the second weekend of August, and, uh, you know, if... If you can catch me there, catch me there. We'll get some stories going. We'll maybe record you if you're comfortable. Or, Cripes, if you just want to hear stories, bring your kids over. Jeez, I'll tell them a few good ones. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, everybody, patrons, listeners, and everybody for being with us, supporting the show. Really appreciate it. Till next time.